Amen. If you have your Bible or Bible app, turn to Proverbs chapter 26. We're now on chapter 26, part 27 of our series, Wisdom That Works. Say, Wisdom That Works. Now, we started this series six months ago. You guys remember that? Yeah, six months ago. And we have six more chapters to go, including this chapter, today's chapter. And this is such an amazing book, isn't it? It's an amazing book. And what I love about it is the powerful, practical wealth of wisdom that it gives us. And I love the humor. I love the honesty and the grit, the grit and the bluntness of this book. Don't you? Amen. I just had to share that with you. I love, I love this book. I've, I'm learning so much about myself and how God is just ministering to my heart. And so I praise God for his wisdom. Amen. Before we dive into the text, as always, I want to do a quick review from last week's text. We covered all of chapter 25. Last week, I gave you six points. You might remember those six points. Uh, the first point was God and the king. Say that. That's verses 2 through 7. And God is entirely justified. We learned this, right, that God is entirely justified in choosing what he will or will not reveal to us because he's God. And then Solomon says kings need to investigate matters fully before making decisions. And if a king's decision is right, then he's a great king. He's a good king. Then he says the king needs a society purged of evil elements if he's to establish a righteous rule. Then Solomon says, don't exalt yourself in the king's presence or you will be humbled. The second point was neighborly behavior. Say that. Neighborly behavior. And that's verses 8 through 10. And Solomon says, don't open your mouth until you get all the facts. Right? Until you get all the facts. And be careful about making quick judgments about things because sometimes things aren't always as they seem. And then also what, what's important is that we learn to go to people directly when we have a problem with them and also that it's better to try to settle a disagreement with a neighbor privately. The third point is timely words. I say that. Timely words. That's in verses 11 through 15. And Psalm says when you say the right words with the right, at the right time with the right heart, it's like apples of gold. I love that. Apples of gold in settings of silver. And then he says the listening Obedient ear will benefit from the, per, from the wise person's correction. Receiving it is like an earring of gold or an ornament of gold. And then Solomon says, The one who diligently carries out their task brings great relief to a supervisor, a boss, or a king. And then he says, Those who claim they'll do something or give something but doesn't follow through with that commitment, they're like empty clouds, clouds without Rain. And then he says, rather than rushing to confrontation, he says, use patience to, to convince those in authority of your views. And then he says, the soft, that soft words, calm and patient speech can overcome initial opposition. The fourth point was moderation in all things. Say that. Moderation in all things, verses 16 through 17. And to sum that up, it's just this. Too much candy will make you sick, and too much time at your neighbor's house will make them sick of you. <laughs> right? And the fifth point was dealing with others. Say that. Dealing with others, verses 18 through 24. Solomon says dishonest statements can ruin a person's life. And then Solomon warns us against careless, shallow reactions to another person's sorrow. Then he says God blesses those who treat their enemies kindly. And then he says peaceful solitude is better than strife-filled companionship. And finally, the sixth point of last week's text was good news and self-control. Say that in self-control, verses 25 to 28. 
and that our lack of purity affects our witness. And what it does, it, it muddies uh, our testimony and disappoints anyone who looks to us for an example of righteousness. And Solomon says, seeking to be glorified will make you sick, just like eating too much honey. And then he wraps it up and says, when we lack self-control, we are vulnerable to the enemy's attack. This now brings us to today's text. The title of my message is Avoiding Foolishness. Say that. Now, this chapter, as we go through it, you'll notice that it deals with the foolish, the sluggard, and gossips. And we know that the fool is stupid. Stupid is arrogant, senseless, and despises wisdom. Uh, in Proverbs, here in the book of Proverbs, foolishness means rejection of God and His truth. Then we know about the sluggard, right? The sluggard is idle, indifferent, feeble, a slacker, lazy, sluggish, lack of energy. And the gossiper is a slanderer, an informer, a, a backbiter, a murmurer, or a whisperer. And so here Solomon is warning us about these kinds of people, and he's using them as examples of lives that you and I, that we need to avoid, and that, listen now, and, that, and they're not glorifying to God. So I want to give you four points from the text. If you ready, say yes. Here we go. Point number one is this, facts on the fool. Say that. Facts on the fool. Write that down. We're going to look at verse 1. Solomon writes, like snow in summer or rain in harvest, honor is not fitting for a fool. So in the Middle East, snow in the summer just isn't right. And rain in harvest won't help the crop as well. So in fact, friends, uh, it could ruin the crop. So both examples represent a mismatch. Say mismatch. So two things which clearly do not belong together. Well, so it is, and Solomon's point is this, so it is with the fool. Putting a fool in the place of honor just isn't right. Got it? Putting a fool in the place of honor just isn't right. It's not fitting for the fool, perhaps even dangerous. Now, that being said, the sad truth is this, that honor in our society is often given to ungodly athletes, ungodly actors, ungodly TV hosts, ungodly musicians, ungodly politicians, ungodly CEOs. They're not good examples of honor. Do I have a witness? And so here's the lesson. Are you ready? Honor those who are worthy of honor. Honor those who are worthy of honor. And we know this, that we need to honor God. God is worthy, right, of honor. We need to honor God. We need to honor our parents, as the Scripture says. We need to also honor our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, I want you to write this down, Romans 12.10. Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor, say honor, one another above yourselves. I also want to say this that we are to even give honor to positions of authority even when those holding it don't deserve it. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, Peter says to honor the king. Okay, You know who was in charge at that time? It was Nero. And he was not a good king, not a good man. But yet we are to honor those in authority. You guys with me? Now, we need to reserve our honor for those who truly, truly deserve it, and pray, say pray, for our nation that continually gives it to the wrong people. Verse 2, like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. And so what Solomon is saying here is that a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow are incapable of reaching their destination. And so it is with the curse. It will not reach its destination. It has no effect. If you're saved, say amen. 
As believers, we have no need of fear of curses. Got it? They're ineffective on us because God's Spirit dwells within us. Can I get an amen? 1 John 4, 4, you might know this by heart. 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the, the world. Listen, because God has saved you, if you've been saved, say amen. If God has saved you, right? If God has saved you, he lives in you and blessed you. And because he lives in you and blessed you, the enemy cannot curse you. Got it? And what comes to mind is Balaam, the prophet for hire, you might know the story, could not curse what God has blessed. And Balak, the king of Moab, wanted to hire Balaam to bring a curse upon the children of Israel who were passing through the land. In Numbers, write this down, Numbers chapter 23, verse 8, Numbers 23, verse 8, Balaam says, how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? And how can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? Can't do it. I want you to write this down, Psalm 109, verses 26 through 29, Psalm 109, 26 through 29. And the psalmist writes this, help me, Lord my God, save me according to your unfailing love. Let them know that it is your hand that you, Lord, have done it. This is what he says. While they curse, may you bless. May those who attack me be put to shame, but may your servant rejoice. May my accusers be clothed with disgrace and wrapped in shame as in a coke. Someone say amen. So if you're saved, you cannot be cursed. Verse 3, verse 3. A whip for the horse, a halter or a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the backs of fools. So a horse, a donkey, a fool don't respond to reason and will suffer as a result of that. And the point is, what fools won't learn from words of wisdom, they must, listen now, learn through infliction of pain. Now I want you to write this down, chapter 10, verse 13 of Proverbs, chapter 10, verse 13, and Solomon says, wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but, say but, a rod is for the back of him who lacks judgment, for the fool. Now I want to say this, a person may be intellectual, a person may even be brilliant. But if they refuse God's reason and they refuse God's revelation, they are fools bound for misery. You guys with me? Verses 4 and 5, do not answer a fool according to his folly or you will be like him yourself. Verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly or he will be wise in his own eyes. So what? What are you saying, Solomon? Right? I mean, do we answer the fool or not? It sounds like a contradiction. Well, let me, let me clarify it for you. The idea here is don't answer, don't answer fools in the same way they foolishly handle their ideas or else you'll be just like them. Or you will lower yourself to their level. But answer them, but answer them so that they will learn to abandon their foolish ideas. You guys with me? Let me put it this way. Verse 4 applies to foolish comments that should be ignored, while verse 5 applies to erroneous ideas that should be refuted. Here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? A time to answer, right, and a time to walk away. A time to answer and a time to walk away. Sometimes, say sometimes, come on, say sometimes, it's necessary to respond. It is. And so we need to carefully listen and wisely, say wisely, 
choose our words because it requires great wisdom to know when to answer full and when not to, right? Sometimes a wise answer, sometimes a wise answer to a fool will expose his or her folly and prevent them from becoming wise in their own eyes. There also is a time when we shouldn't bother answering a fool because what? We just become just like them, right? If we're not careful. You see, to correct something, listen now, to correct something using wisdom is good. To imitate something, listen now, something unwise is not. I'm going to say that again. To correct something using wisdom is good. To imitate something unwise is not. Say is not. Verse 6. Like cutting of one's feet or drinking violence. In other words, gulping. That means gulping down violence. Is sending is the sending of a message by the hand of a fool. Now, in Bible times, we know this, right? In Bible times, messages obviously were not delivered by, by email or text or phone. They were delivered by designated people employed to deliver a message from senders to the recipient. Uh, but not all messages or assigned messages or messengers, not all assigned messengers, excuse me, were reliable. So a person uh, lacking common sense might be distracted or forget an important detail or deliberately change the message or fail to find the recipient. So sending a message through a fool is as pointless, what Solomon's saying, is as pointless as trying to walk after severing one's feet. That's what he's saying. Sending a fool on a mission is like calling violence on, on oneself. It's only inviting trouble, never expecting a good result. So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? Be, listen now, be a faithful messenger. He's talking about the one who's not a faithful messenger, right? One who has no feet, who cannot take the message. He's not faithful in taking the message. But we as believers, we need to be faithful messengers. If you're safe, say amen. God has given you and I a message, right, the gospel, the very message that changed my life and the very message that changed your life. And we are to be faithful, say faithful, in delivering that life-changing message to the lost. Can I get amen to the lost? So God has given you a message, right? It's changed our life. Go and tell somebody. Verses 7 through 11 like a lame man's legs that hang limb is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. So in other words, as legs to the cripple are useless, he's saying wisdom to the fool is also, what? Useless. And since the fool cannot understand godliness, a proverb will hang useless in the mouth like the legs of a lame man. Verse 8, like tying a stone in a sling is the giving of honor to a fool. And so, friends, a stone should be loose in a sling, right? It should be loose in a sling so it will come out when you throw it. That's the purpose of putting a stone in a sling. But, but, but binding it and, and tying a stone in a sling makes a sling useless or worse, dangerous. The bottom line is this, and Solomon's saying this, giving honor to a fool is wasting the honor. Got it? Verse 9, like a thorn bush. In a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of the fool. I want to read that again. Like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. So one idea here, one idea here is that the thorn is a weapon in the hand of a drunk. It could mean that. 
You guys got that? The thorn is a weapon in the hand of the drunk. Another idea is the thorn is, is, is piercing the drunkard's hand. The thorn is piercing the drunkard's hand. I'm not sure the drunkard can feel the thorn going through his hand. In other words, in other words, a fool could have his heart pierced with wisdom and never feel it. Got it? The message says it like this. To ask a moron to quote a, a proverb is like putting a scalpel in the hands of a drunk. Now I want to say this. All that's been said so far in this verse, verse 9. It is painful, I don't know about you, but to me, it's painful to hear the foolish, the ungodly quote Scripture. You guys with me? Do you ever feel uncomfortable? I mean, come on. When you hear the ungodly, the foolish person twist Scripture or misquote it? I do. When they misquote Scripture or twist Scripture, take it out of context to fit their narrative, and to justify their lifestyle. I don't know about you, but that bothers me. And people are so quick to take Scripture out of context to fit their narrative and what they have to say. It's like the drunkard. It's like the drunkard. Are you guys with me? And I tell you, my heart just aches when I hear people just misquoting the Word of God and using it for their personal gain. Verse 10, like an archer who wounds at random is he who hires a fool or any passerby. In other words, this is saying be careful who you hire. Hire the wrong person and people get hurt. <laughs> but you know what? Some people don't really understand or they don't understand the interpretation of this verse. Some say they don't know what it says because in the King James it says this, the great God that formed all things both rewardeth the fool and rewardeth transgressors. So that interpretation would be this. God will make sure they get what, get what is due as both their hire and their wages. In other words, they, they ultimately reap the results of what they have sown. Verse 11. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. This is pretty gross, isn't it? Come on, isn't it gross? Yeah. A fool refuses to learn. Listen now and will return to disgusting behavior even when warned. Now, this could be speaking about, listen now, those sins that we just don't want to quit doing. It could be speaking about bad habits that you and I need to quit. In fact, Peter quoted this proverb, love it, as a warning against returning to a life of sin. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, Peter writes this, of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to his vomit, the sow that is washed returns to her what? Wallowing in the mud. You guys get that? So you ready for the lesson? Don't go back. Say that. Don't go back. Come on, church, I need you to, come on, say don't go back. Don't go back. Don't go back to the very things that Jesus saved us from. Amen? I mean, why do we even want to go back? Think about it. Why do we even want to go back to those things? Why do we go back to the very things that enslaved us, the very things, listen now, that kept us in a life of bondage? And he's talking about a, a person here that's going back and back and back and back to their filth, to mud and mire and to muck. God has delivered us. Amen? Now, I get that we struggle. We're, we're not perfect. 
But to go back to the same thing over and over again is not wise. He delivered us. He saved us from that. Amen? So don't go back. Look at your neighbor and say, don't go back. Verse 12, verse 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So Solomon points out that the person in worse danger than the fool is the proud person. And, and Solomon talks about pride throughout this whole book, right? He's talking about here the person in worse danger than the fool is the proud person, the person who is wise in their own eyes. And this is a person who thinks that they have all the answers, all the answers. They think that they don't need anyone's advice, anyone's guidance, anyone's insight, anyone's input, anyone's wisdom. Okay? A fool will do better than this person. It's sad. Say facts on the fool. Facts on the fool. Number two is the nature of the sluggard. The nature of the sluggard. Write that down. And we know this already, right? That the sluggard is someone characterized by idleness, indifference, lack of energy, slothful, right? Got it? Verse 13. A sluggard says there is a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. Now, the sluggard has all kinds of excuses, right? All kinds of excuses why they can't do what they're supposed to do. And that's what Solomon's saying. Here. They, they're inventing excuses for not leaving their home to work. And, and they make any excuse to avoid work. They suffer from excuse-itis. Got it? Okay. Now, the sluggard is dedicated. Oh, yeah, they're dedicated, but dedicated to the effort of avoiding work. Now listen, those who truly cannot, say cannot, I want to make sure we know that, cannot work should be supported with love and compassion. Got it? Those who are simply lazy, lazy, should be corrected and not humored. Are you guys with me? In fact, 2 Thessalonians, you know this, right? Chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 says, they, the lazy, the one who doesn't want to work, shouldn't be helped at all or even eat. That's the Word of God. Are you guys with me? Verses 14 through 16. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. You know that a door, right? We know this. A door makes a lot of movement back and forth, back and forth. Doesn't it? Yeah, right? But it doesn't go anywhere. Right? Because why? It's anchored to the door jam. The same with the sluggard. The sluggard makes a lot of movement. Back and forth, right, turn, they turn here, they move, but don't go anywhere. Why? Because the sluggard is anchored to the bed. You guys remember this? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, right? Brings poverty, right? Now, I want to say this. Although sleep is beneficial, and I, I like sleep. I like to sleep, right? It's beneficial. Although sleep is beneficial, too much sleep can be detrimental. Got it? Verse 15. The sluggard buries his head in the fle- in in the dish. Excuse me. The sluggard buries his head, his hand, hand in the dish. He's too lazy. Say too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. I mean, how lazy do you have to be? Think about it, huh? To not feed yourself, right? I mean, how lazy do you have to be? And this person here would rather starve themselves than feed themselves. Now, I'm going to say this. There's a spiritual application here. As Christians, we can exhibit laziness in spiritual matters. You guys with me? And we may not choose, we may choose not 
to put effort into our spiritual growth and miss out on the rewards as a result. Now the world in, in our culture can tempt us to ignore studying the Bible. Yeah? Or serving the church. Even prayer can be crowded out by laziness. So can church attendance. So keeping the imagery of this proverb, those too lazy to practice spiritual discipline will spiritually starve. You guys with me? Verse 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer discreetly. You see, the lazy person, the sluggard, may lack energy and initiative, but don't lack a high opinion of him or herself. And they consider themselves smarter and wiser than seven of the wisest men. They know better than anyone else. Say facts on the fool. Say the nature of the sluggard. Number three, here we go. Mind your own business. <laughs> Say that. Mind your own business. Verses 17 through 19. Like one who seizes or grabs a dog by the ears is a passerby who meddles in a quarrel not his own. I just got to say this. There are some people who just like to get involved in other people's business. They like to get involved in other people's disputes. And here Solomon says that a person who grabs a dog by the ears can expect to be bitten. You ever grab a dog by the ears? Huh? Hard? It'll bite you, right? Right? So if you, if you interfere in another person's quarrel, Solomon's saying, you're looking for trouble. You're going to, listen now, you're going to get bitten. So, listen now, don't get upset when you get hurt. Got it? Now I want to say this, and we'll make sure we're clear on this. Participating in other people's disputes or business is not always wrong. Say it's not always wrong. Because you might be asked to provide eyewitness accounts of something or intervening with someone is being abused or, or attacked or to protect the weak and the innocent. Nothing wrong with that. What's wrong, what's condemned, is an inappropriate intrusion or interference into someone else's business. Got it? And you see the wise person, say the wise person, come on, doesn't intrude into conflicts when they don't have to. They use wisdom. And wisdom, right, discretion, should I get involved or not? And if you see that someone's in danger or you need to intervene, then do it. But if not, don't do it. Got it? Verse 18. Like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows. So this is a picture of a fierce warrior with many weapons spreading destruction everywhere. He goes. Like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who, de who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only what? I was only joking. Now, it's fun to joke around. I like to joke around. We all like to joke around, right? It's fun to joke around with folks, but sometimes our joking can hurt others if we're not careful. And then we say this, well, I didn't mean it. And we, and we said a joke or joking around with them, and it hurt their feelings. We say, well, I didn't mean it. After the fact, that does not remove the damage that's done. So Solomon's saying be very careful, right? Be very, very careful when you're joking with someone. Be very careful with your words. Got it? Facts on the fool, the nature of the sluggard, 
Mind your own business. Number four is gossip generates grief. Say that. Gossip generates grief. Verses 20 to 21, if you're still with me, say amen. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. In other words, when gossiping stops, much of the fuel for conflict is gone. Someone say amen to that. Verse 21, as charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man of kindling strife. In other words, being argumentative is another way to prolong disputes. And what it does, it inflames the situation. It worsens conflict the same way adding wood to a fire makes the blazing, makes the blaze grow. Verses 22 to 25. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They're juicy. Get that? You know, it's part of our sinful human nature to have an appetite for gossip, isn't it? It is. And for some people, it's, it's hard to resist. They just like it. They're, they're greedy and hungry for gossip. They love to gossip, and they love to hear gossip. So let's go back to this. The words of a gossip are like what? Choice morsels, juicy. They, say they, that's speaking of the words of gossip. They, the words of gossip, go down to a man's what? Inmost parts. Do you guys get that? In other words, what we hear from the gossiper will have, have an effect on us. It will go down to the inmost parts. In other words, it will change the way we feel or think about the person who's being gossiped about. In other words, we don't see it. Look at him the same. Got it? Don't do that, he's saying. Verse 23, like a coating of glaze over earthenware are fervent lips with an evil heart. In other words, smooth words may hide a wicked heart. You guys got that? Just as a pretty glaze covers a clay pot. It specifically means a person who disguises evil intent using clever words. Now we know this, right? You, you can't believe everything you see, right? Can't believe everything you see. Some people seem silky and pretty on the outside, right? But not so on the inside. Smooth words and kind words, but in their heart, not so. And you can't believe everything that you hear. And some people use clever, smooth words, but it's coming from a what? An evil heart. An evil heart. And that's what Solomon's saying. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. Verse 24, a malicious man disguise, disguises himself with his lips, but in his heart he harbors deceit. In other words, some disguise their hate and malice using careful words. They give the impression of being calm. They give the impression of being kind or reasonable. Now what comes to mind? Is Judas. Judas. Remember Judas? In the Bible, Judas? Judas kiss, right? In fact, in the Greek, when it says it says Judas kissed Jesus, in the Greek, it's not just one kiss, but he smothered Jesus with kisses all over his face. And so you think about this, he's, he's speaking, this is uh, in relation to Judas' kiss, which appeared to be friendly, right? but was an act of what? Betrayal. He kissed Jesus, but his heart wasn't right. Verse 25, though his speech is charming, do not believe him. Don't trust him. For seven abominations fill his heart. In other words, though he flatters, his heart is evil towards you. 
Now, the seven abominations mentioned here might be a reference to the list given back in chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, right? 16 gods hate, seven that are abomination. You know, haughty eyes, lying tongue, all those things, right? Hands that shed into some blood and so on and so on. So that could be referring to that, the seven abominations. Verses 26 through 28, you're still with me? Say amen. His malice may be concealed by deception, but his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. In the assembly. I want to stop there. The assembly in this verse uh, refers to any group brought together for some purpose. In this case, it might mean a courtroom setting, a courtroom setting where the guilty person is being judged, and it, it will eventually come out what this person has done. It will be exposed. Because why? Because righteousness, say righteousness, does triumph over evil. Someone say amen. Verse 27. We're almost done here. If a man digs a pit, he will fall into it. If a man rolls a stone, it will roll back on him. You know what this is? This is the law of the what? The law of the harvest. Right? We know this, right? This is the law of the harvest. You reap what you, you sow. Those who plan evil get caught in the aftermath of their own sin. Now, what comes to mind? Haman and Esther, remember? He built, he built these gallows, right, to hang Mordecai, but it was Haman who was hung, right? Well, how about Daniel's enemies? Daniel was sent to the lion's den. Ultimately, those who plotted his death, they were devoured by the lions. So what you... What, right? you, what you sow is what you what? Reap. And so be careful, friends. If a man digs a pit, he will fall into it. If a man rolls a stone, it will roll back on him. Verse 28. Verse 28. A lying tongue hates those it hurts. Man, how sad is that? Huh? A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and the flattering mouth works what? Ruin. In other words, the liar, the liar does his or her destruction without sympathy for others. They don't care. They'll lie straight to your face, behind your back. And, the, you know, they don't feel sorry for the ones they crush, right? They actively hate them. That's what he's saying. How sad is that? And the point is this. Only pain and ruin comes from a lying, flattering person. And I want to tell you, friends, be very, very careful with flattery. Be very careful because flattery usually it has an ulterior motive. You may be saying something nice, but do you really mean it? Or just saying to get something back in return? You guys with me? And the bottom line is this. A lying tongue and a flattering mouth causes so much in a way of damage and destruction. So tell the truth. Amen? Tell the truth. Be a truth teller. Have a true heart. Don't, don't, don't be a liar or one who flatters others. So all that's been said today, as I said in the beginning of the message, that Solomon's telling us to avoid these three kinds of people. Use wisdom. And that we, as we live our lives, that being filled with wisdom, that we would avoid the fool. Don't be like the fool. Avoid the slugger. Don't be lazy. And avoid the gossiper. 
Don't gossip. Watch your mouth. Make sure you have a clean heart. Amen? Let's all stand. Father, we thank you.